From the editors of Cannabis Business Times and the team at Quest, this is How to Win a Cannabis Cultivation License, a new limited series that focuses on this integral process, the starting line for all of us in the industry. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Cannabis Business Times. We're pleased to bring you an in-depth look at the licensing process in the cannabis industry, over 10 episodes, as things stand in 2021. This is episode five. Last week, we met Eric Sklar of Napa Valley Fume in California. He explained how he and his team began turning an earlier vision of a licensed cannabis business into an actual licensed cannabis business. As in many other states, California works on a local and state approval basis for its cannabis licensing policies. Not only will you need to obtain the green light from the relevant state cannabis regulatory agency, but you'll need to get local stakeholders to sign off on your plans as well. Think of Massachusetts host community agreements, which Byron Statton outlined in episode three, discussing Apothka's greenhouse operation in Fitchburg, Mass. In California, the state regulatory agencies are now in the process of consolidating their duties under one roof. A current state budget proposal establishes the Department of Cannabis Control within the Business, Consumer Services, and Housing Agency. This move would roll the cannabis authorities of the state's Bureau of Cannabis Control, Department of Food and Agriculture, and Department of Public Health into one place, making things easier on folks like Sklar and countless other cannabis entrepreneurs in the state. It will also presumably make things easier on the state, which must work with the county boards of supervisors who've opted into cannabis and funneled locally approved projects to Sacramento. Let's catch up with Sklar on that point. The tension between local approvals and state approvals. One of the real efforts in every ordinance process is to get this, the city or county not to duplicate what the state's doing, or worse yet, look at the same area and do something different. Because then, you know, sometimes they can be in conflict and you can't meet both. So mm-hmm. you really work at when you're writing at that ordinance writing stage to make sure that they do it. A lot of times they, they, they don't listen to all that advice and they put stuff in there that is in conflict with the state or is duplicative in a way that's very inefficient. So you try to work through that. But what we found is that there, there were certainly every time we applied for something, there was some conflict between state and local. That's slowly getting cleaned up. You know, then the, the local authority tries to clean it up. The state looks when they redo the regulations, when they re, uh, update them every year, they clean them up. Um, but in California, one of the great things is, is one of the problems has been is that there were th- are three licensing agencies, one for retail and de- dist- you know, dis- distribution, one for manufacturing, and one for cultivation and nurseries. That created a thing where there were three separate applications and you were applying for all of them at the same time in the same property. And yet they were asking different things, different ways, or they were asking the same thing, but you had to hand type it in repeatedly on different sites. Um, California is going to consolidate into one cannabis agency. Um, sometime later this year, we hope. They've got delayed because of COVID. But when they do, what we'd like to see happen is have a single application. And if that topic, say cultivation, has something that's unique to that, then say, you know, when you check the box at the beginning that, that says cultivation, it, you know, it brings up the unique thing for cultivation, but the rest of it's the same. And you should be able to populate it as a, you know, having already had an account without having to re-enter everything every time. So we're hoping that kind of progress will be made. It's, you know, it will save work. It'll save confusion. It'll make the processing times faster, I believe. Um, but as you say that, you know, there is a, is the problem of having multiple masters and, it, you know, we all are praying for federal legalization. Well, that's going to add another set of regulations and, ma- and another master to the mix 
but in the end, it's, it's what's best. But in many ways, of course, it's the local approval that we've really been homing in on in this series. That's the boots on the ground arena for your cannabis business to prove itself and share its narrative. That's where the impact of your business will be felt. Without proving yourself on the local level, your story is incomplete. That's where your work is going to take place. You need to integrate your business into the broader patchwork of economic activity in your neck of the woods. That's how the state ultimately will understand what your business represents. Of course, you may be expanding across multiple communities or even multiple states, but the point of origin is the local approval process. And who knows, once you're in the slipstream of local politics and the business community, you may see things in a whole new light. Let me tell you one story particularly. So when, he, when I, 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 one of my things is that, you know, I've been a city council member and a planning commissioner. And I'm currently on the Fish and Game Commission for California. So I have experience being on the other side of the dais, right? Being the regulator, a lot of experience, probably a total of 15 years now at this point total. So when I go to a new locale, um, now I watch their meetings on Zoom a bunch of times before I pipe in at all. I, I much prefer to do it in person because you get much more of the body language. You get a much better sense of who you're dealing with and who the people are. Not just uh, the, the, the supervisors or city council members, but the audience as well, the other stakeholders. There's always a bunch of regulars who you need to kind of understand because they can throw wrenches and things. So I go to a bunch of meetings and I just listen. I sit in the back row and I just listen. I get to know who the five supervisors are, what they're about, what their, what their issues are, how they communicate, what pisses them off, what makes them happy. So after doing that for three, three meetings in Lake County uh, and, we, and we had put the property we wanted to plant on in escrow, I went up to the podium and said, hi, my name's Eric Sklar. I'm with a group of partners who just bought Howard Hot Springs, the old Hot, Howard Hot Springs resort property. And I know you supervisors really wanna see that resort rebuilt app because it was burnt down during the fire but it's really hard to get funding to build resorts up here in Lake County right now. If we can grow cannabis in the property, that will generate cash flow, which will increase the probability that we can get the resort built by a partner. So I really encourage you to allow cultivation. I, I encourage you to allow the green zone to include Howard Hot Springs. And I sat back down. Thank you very much. And uh, sat back down and a guy uh, with a scraggly beard and a pith helmet on, sun weather beaten guy in his sixties, taps me on the shoulder from the booth behind me or the, the row behind me and says, hey, I'm your neighbor. And I'm like, huh, this could go either way. And uh, I said, really? I said, uh, he said, yeah, look at this. And he shows me his iPhone picture of these things that look like orange trees. And I said, are those orange trees? He goes, that's my cannabis. That's how I grow it. I said, oh my God, where, where do you, where's your property? He told me, I said, can I come see it sometime soon? He said, absolutely. I went and visited his property, was blown away by him and his growing process. Five minutes from our property, I said, will you come over? Would you mind coming over and walking my property with me and talking with me about where you think we should, you know, have our gardens? He did that. And then he came back a couple weeks later to talk some more with us. He is our currently our master grower, has been for the three years. He's in the photo on the cover of Cannabis Business Times. Uh, uh, the older guy, he's the only one older than me in the picture. Um, and uh, yeah, a guy who's been really helpful. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen at these meetings. That was our, our entree into the community. And then while there were times when we were viewed as outsiders with coming in with a lot of money to try to you know, really you know, dominate there. Um, he helped us build friendships with all the other growers or most of the other growers in a way that took that fear away and, and they didn't feel threatened. With those other growers, we formed the Lake County Cannabis Al uh, Association or Alliance. And, uh, and it's been really a very positive experience working with everybody in, in the cannabis community up there since that first day when Richard tapped me on the shoulder. 
The cover Eric mentioned is the February 2021 issue of Cannabis Business Times, and you can take a look at that on our website, CannabisBusinessTimes.com. Richard Durham is Napa Valley Fumé's master grower. The story is a great example of the serendipity of this business, particularly on that up-close local level. It's come up several times now in this series. You need to interface with the community if you're not already a part of the place. If you're lucky enough to find a property and an interested city council in your hometown, great. But you'll want to be prepared to mingle and network and learn. And you'll want a team who can be just as agile as you. You know, every company does it differently and it's based on your resources by what, by what you're trying to accomplish. We were really doing a vertical integration with a lot of businesses starting at the same time. So it was kind of like a barbell for us. Uh, our, uh, it, was, it, was, it was Jake kind of on a strategic level planning with me. And then the first hire we made was our COO, Alyssa Hambrick, who's standing next to me in that photo on the front of Cannabis Business Times. Um, she is a, a, a Swiss army knife, a jack of all trades. She can you know, work on licensing. She can work on HR. She, she, you know, she can build teams. She can get uh, construction projects executed. So in that, those early days, it was primarily she and I at the top dividing and conquering. It was, it was very much that kind of, uh, you know, dividing and conquering and building the, I don't want to say lower level, but the more staff at the base of the pyramid who were doing the gardening, who were driving the trucks, who were, you know, fulfilling orders. Um, that was how we, how we chose to do it initially because it was a business we didn't really know very well, but we knew we had to know it well if we were going to run this company. So we, uh, we, we wanted to do a lot of it ourselves early on. It was exhausting and stressful. And, you know, there was issue after issue. And I can talk about some of the, you know, we could write a book on, on the challenges and hurdles we, we, you know, which challenges we faced and hurdles we had to jump over. But, um, you know, that barbell shape worked pretty well for us until, you know, a year or so ago when, when Alyssa and I were getting burnt out and we really needed to bring in a chief marketing officer and then a marketing director and a supply chain manager. And so we've been filling out those kind of next level down uh, positions now. But every business has to think for themselves on how they do it. If, if you're just, and I don't mean that to diminish it, if you're just going to be planting a cannabis garden and not doing any of the other parts of the vertical, it's a little different there. I would probably hire, a, you know, a, an experienced cultivator full time from day one and have that person choose the staff that he, that he or she wants to have work for them on the actual work in the garden. We didn't have that luxury with so many moving parts at the same time. We needed to, we couldn't hire 20 middle-level managers right out of the box, right? We had to we had to do that ourselves, roll up our sleeves and, and get our dirt under our nails. The new Quest IQ series offers high-capacity, cannabis-specific units that single-handedly master humidity and temperature, giving cultivators total control to dial in grow room environments. These new units feature a modular design with two compressors, two fans, and two cabinets, all in one package. They are scalable to support every stage of growth and include technology that saves tens of thousands of dollars each year in electricity costs. Take a look at the new equipment and more at questclimate.com. Property is one of the trickiest parts of this story. Whether you're indoor, outdoor, or working in a greenhouse, the regulations of the cannabis industry which may vary considerably from point A to point B, end up circumscribing your real estate and land acquisition options. Serendipity plays a role, certainly, but you also need to know what you're looking for. As we finish this episode, you'll hear that idea emerging in how Eric tells his story. 
you need to know what you want to get out of the land and out of the market long before you get to planting. Of course, serendipity may play an outsized role in all of this. That's part of the magic of the cannabis business. We were really lucky. We, you know, we, uh, we, I, we had a friend in Napa who had been involved with the property before, and I was meeting with him just to tell him what we were thinking of doing in cannabis in general. He goes, hey, I got a property that would be great for you. So as always, networking, relationships make a huge difference. Um, I would say that, you know, it's challenging. You really want to pick your property carefully. It's got to be in the green zone, obviously. It's got to have all the qualities that the local authorities in the state want to have on it. But, you know, you want a lot of space from your neighbors. You don't want to be right in their face with it. Um, you know, cannabis can have some odor. And so you want to be, you know, good three or 400 feet away from any other homes, at least, and, and better yet, be downwind from them. So you want to be really sensitive to what property you're picking. Because, A, it's, it's terrible for you if you have problems later. It can really be expensive if, you, if all of a sudden, you know, a lot of these licenses are year by year. You renew them because you've been, if you've been behaving well. If it's been causing problems for the neighbors with odor and noise or light, you might lose that license that you, and you invest, invested a lot of money in that property. So again, upfront, really planning to make sure that you're in a place that is the right place for you to grow cannabis, I think is really valuable. The right place for you to grow cannabis. It's worth repeating. And maybe it really does go without saying, but every cannabis business is different. Every cannabis market is different. What your approach to cannabis is going to look like might not be apparent from the jump. The legwork that is part of the licensing process is almost like a self-actualization journey. You come to know your business as it's taking shape, and in doing so, you come to know how to convey that information in the real estate world, the local governance world, the horticulture world. Now, bear in mind again, these two episodes focus on California, but the principles of this argument remain the same across the U.S. And while it might feel like we're late in the game here, this industry is really only just getting started. Certain state markets outside the sprawling California landscape might be limiting the number of licensed cannabis businesses they're allowing, but the future is expansive. There's no telling where this industry will go. So I would say that the train hasn't left the station on getting licensing because there are a lot of jurisdictions that are still working on their ordinances. Um, and so there'll be an opportunity in those places to do work. You know, Lake County still has, is, is, is accepting applications for cultivation. So is Sonoma, Mendocino, Humboldt. So there's still a real opportunity to, to get licenses. Um, whether or not a bigger business or something or, or, or a, a bigger company has a better shot at it depends in part on, uh, depends in, in large measure on the local jurisdiction. At the state level, I don't think it matters either way. You're an applicant, you fill the application out right, and, and, and the local authorities have approved of you doing it there, you're good to go. Um, at the local level, you know, it's, it's all over the map because some of them say we're only going to give five permits, right? So then, you know, it's a competition and you got to compete on every level. And a bigger business may be able to, you know, just with resources, may be able to do a much better application package, right? Um, so, you know, make yours look as professional as you can because you may be competing that way. Other places, um, you know, and they might be doing it by a beauty contest, right? Where, where they're deciding which one they like the best. They get 10 applications, but they're only going to give five. And so you got, you got to really, you know, you got to shine. Other places, it's first come, first serve. So you're competing against yourself. Do, do, you know, are you doing an application that looks good enough? Other places where it's unlimited, you know, there might, they might be a little more forgiving of the fact that a smaller company might not do as fancy an application. But I, I don't think that's a, an excuse not to put the best application forward you can. You, you want to get it. You, you put a lot of time and effort into it. Make it, make it as professional as, as if uh, 
you know, I don't know, um, Philip Morris, uh, you know, with their billions of dollars had put the application in. Because you can do it, it's, you know, it's not, the difference can be 10 or $15,000 of upfront investment to do it right versus not. And that's, that's well worth it when you're talking about, you know, a cannabis garden that can grow, you know, almost a million dollars a year in, in cannabis. This is important. The investment into the cannabis business license application is a vital startup cost. And you can shortchange the matter or you can go all in. It's a calculation. What will it take to tell your story? What is your story? Part of this question is secret sauce type stuff, as any executive team will tell you. But there are certain elements to a successful cannabis cultivation license application that will immediately make it pop off the pile of the other guy's applications. Remember, you're partly trying to stand out from a stack of paperwork, which isn't exactly the most compelling platform. The work you put in before putting pen to paper is key. Then, when you're looking at your binders and hundreds of pages of narrative details, you actually have something worth reading, something convincing to the gatekeepers of the heavily regulated business world. Yeah, the things that help that are a little on the softer side are, you know, demonstrating that if you're not from the community, evidence that in the community that you've worked in, community or communities you've worked in before, that you've been a really good citizen. You know, show them, get references, get, get examples, give them, you know, one, in one instance, we were, we were applying one place, I said, I gave the city manager there the name of the city manager where we already had a license and we're operating for a year. Let them give, help them do their due diligence on you to see that you're really an upstanding citizen who's going to be a great operator in the community. Number two, almost all local jurisdictions really want you to hire locally. So make a commitment that you're going to hire locally. Go beyond that and say you're not only going to hire locally, but you're going to have, you know, one of the most diverse workforces that this city's ever seen. Uh, and third, um, you know, you, you, you can also... Um, uh, if, if in California, it's required for business of a certain size, you could sign a labor peace agreement that says you're going to work with unions um, to, to unionize your shop as opposed to fight it. Those things are things that local politicians, local officials really like to see. A lot of what Eric's been talking about in this episode and in last week's episode is the early days of Napa Valley Fume. And why not? That's what this series is all about. And it's meant to help you shape your own approach to the licensing process to the point of origin for your cannabis business. But we did want to get a sense from him about what he might do differently if he were given a time machine, or if he were planning to pursue additional licensing opportunities, like he is. Yeah, I think, you know, really, if, 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 a lot of times what one applies for multiple licenses in a single building or a single property, really thinking that out carefully, because once you do that, it's very, it, it takes a lot of time to change it. Um, and, and if your operation isn't running well because you didn't figure out, well, this is the right square footage for distribution, this is right for manufacturing, um, you end up stuck and it takes years to fix. So really, really careful space planning is really important early in the process. Um, that was one really valuable lesson. The other is on cultivation press was, you know, get as many of the types of licenses as you can. We didn't get a processing license or a nursery license. Well, that's turned out to be a real pain. It makes, it makes some of the things we want to do just more difficult. So now we're applying for them, but we know it's going to take a while to, uh, to get them. Um, so there's that. Uh, you know, uh, clearly after you've done a license or two, especially with the state, it becomes much easier because you can, uh, um, you know, you've done it before. And it just, it's just, you know, you I'm not going to say you can do it with your eyes closed, but, but it becomes much easier. So assume that it's going to be much, it's going to take you three times as long on the first application as it will on the last one. If you are interested in learning more about the licensing process, 
and you're listening to this series as it's released, join us at Cannabis Conference 2021 in Las Vegas. The show runs from August 24th to August 26th, and an all-access pass gets you into our Create a Winning License application session. Securing a cannabis business license is one of the most critical and perhaps one of the most daunting first steps in launching a business in this increasingly complex and competitive industry. Make your application stand out from the crowd with takeaways from this can't-miss session for any new or expanding business. We're going to continue releasing episodes over the next five weeks, every Friday, introducing you to characters around the business who found their way through the tangled licensing process and who have plenty of advice for anyone interested in following along. In the meantime, though, we're all ears at Cannabis Business Times. Is there something you want to hear in this podcast or in future series? Is there a story that you think sheds some light on the licensing landscape in the U.S.? Send me an email anytime. I'm at esandy at gie.net. GIE is our publishing company. Or reach out on Twitter at CBTMag. We're here to serve the market. My name is Eric Sandy, and I'm the digital editor of Canvas Business Times. Our sound editors are Alexander Garrett and Jay Boyden, and this series is brought to you by Quest. <laughs>